Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And uh, we got a special podcast for you today. I, today, I think it's special. Today on a very special episode. I'm feeling of the special. Podcast. I, you should feel special. A very special. Do you know edition. that voice? Okay. The yeah. audience out there, can you guess this voice in three words? You, I'm feeling special. Did you get that? That's Caesar Kalinowski. If uh, if you got that right, then yes, we have Caesar Cal on here. And bonus and points if you can spell his last name. Oh, it's phonetic. That's easy. Guys. That's easy. More people in my lifetime have misspelled Caesar than Kalinowski. True story. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Kal- Kalinowski, phonetic. It scares everybody, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Caesar, no one's ever written it, even though they've seen it on every menu it's in their life. It's that A. It's that A that feels the like A-E, it just should be there. doesn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. It, it just, it's, it's weird. But I like that you go by Caesar Cal. Like that is that is the best. Well, just on the Zoom thing here, but that's also my I guess my uh, Twitter handle and Instagram stuff. You know, it's like that. But it's that's because they don't give you that many letters. You can't glue together sixteen letters or whatever. Yeah, so. it's almost Cal L, like on mm. Superman, and I like that. Oh yeah, you know? okay. So first time we ever had you as a guest, I'll never forget. You said something about um, just don't make any jokes. You know, about the salad, because you will, like many others, think you were the first to make that joke. And that always that always struck me as really funny Mm. because I'm like, man, how many people made that joke thinking they were the first person to make that joke? And And if I remember correctly, you went ahead and made it anyway. Of course. We, you know, (laughs) in in the early days, we hung to every guest like you got to know this about us. We literally found ways to make all our guests angry. And I don't know what antisocial disorder that Pete and I have that made us do that. Our greatest moments over the years, we didn't make you mad. We actually really liked you. We're like, he was really cool. Uh, I don't remember getting angry. No, I don't think we did it that we'll way. We'll try I think, harder. I think I, we did it in a way. I cursed you to my wife a lot, but that's just yes. kind of it. That's, you know. But I think we, we in the very <laughs> beginning, we made, we made, if the guy was uptight, we kind of made fun of him. And oh. we'd be having these texts, say this, say this. Um, I don't know, Pete, should we mention <laughs> should we mention some notables? No, no, don't that we try. messed with. I think the best one is the one we always refer to. <laughs> who'd you get who'd you get really ticked off? Philip Yancey. Oh, way to go. Because yeah. because yeah. uh Peyton kept calling him Phil. And he's like, Philip. <laughs> like he kept correcting Peyton well, every time he would like say real it. sternly like that. Hey, Phil. <laughs> so so we used to make jokes when we would come into the call because we had this Paul had this calling client that would say it would 
you are now entering the call, you know, about to drop you in the call. It would say all these rad things. So for me, you know, it was kind of like, like a dropship trooper, you know, from sci-fi. Like I was about to drop into this like battle zone because it, it tells you like two people are waiting. And, uh, so I, I drop into this call going, woohoo. And of course, Philip Yancey's sitting there. He's like, uh, hello. Um, am, am I in the right place? <laughs> was he a return no. guest? No, he was a first time. And now no, he's now, been trying to get him to return and I won't do it. <laughs> I told him if we ever close the podcast, he needs to be our final guest. Now, I love that dude. Like, we're honestly for the audience, just so you know, like, you have to understand what knuckleheads. I would not do this to him again. It made for a great story. But if you think about it, this guy has sat down with Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., back when he was a journalist. This guy was like a world-class journalist. Like, we're idiots. We should not have done this. I mean, but it made for great stories. Like when I made You Lee should have been referring to him as Mr. Yancey. Oh, yes. Heck, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did. You know, it's funny because I did geek out over him. So. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, isn't Mr. Yancey one of the characters from Pride and Prejudice? Boom, boom. Sh- my wife would kill me right now. No, it's, it's- <laughs> It's something like that. Dorsey, Mr. Dorsey. I don't Mr. know. Mr. Darcy. And hey, uh, so, so here's the thing. So here's that, you know, cause this is what you got to do. You got to yeah, say, yeah. I think I might yeah, be yeah. LaTrump. You're ticking off Mr. Yancey story. Okay. All right. So there was here. a time back in the, not, <laughs> yeah, not so long ago, but a while back when, uh, Jeff Vanderstelf and I, Stelt and I were part of the whole X29 church planning network. And, uh, they had, uh, uh, Oh, and I'm trying, totally drawing a blank from Minnesota. It's just, um, huge. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, go on. Oh, no, I'm totally drawing a blank. Hold on. What's his name? <laughs> oh, it's not Piper, is it? Yeah, John Piper. Doy. What a doy. Um, yeah, so John Piper's there, <laughs> and he's speaking at a bunch of stuff, but they had a special dinner where a bunch of us got to have dinner with him, right? Just casual yeah. and meet him. And so <laughs> we ended up getting in an argument with him <laughs> because he was like, really pushing on what we were saying, like how you make disciples and, and, and multiply out community. And that's like, you know, where we're going with this and it's all, right. all of life. If I remember correctly, he was like, no, 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 it's about the pulpit, you know? And so we were like, nah, I'm yeah. not sure if it's all about that. Anyway. So we, we kind of had to like agree to disagree kind of ending, you know? And, and, nice. and but we were famous for that though, then within our tribe, because like you guys nice. argued, you guys took on Piper. That's awesome. He was probably right. And we were wrong. I don't remember exactly what it was, but, but I'm going to say we were right. No, I don't. no, but that's great. The at the dinner at Exponential, where uh, Peyton and I just go, and there's all these tables of pastors, and we just go and sit down, and we're like, "Oh, we're sitting right next to Rick Warren." <laughs> all of a well, my first words to Rick Warren, I wa- we walk into this place late. We're, we're at the adult table. Where's the kid table? Yeah, we we walk into this like speakers thing late, and uh, and and so we take the table by the back of the room, not towards the front where the stage is, back left or back right or whatever it was. Slipping in, slinking Slipping in. in, like slinking in. There's like three people at this table, right? That seats eight. And we slink in and I sit down next to this dude with red hair. And, and I turn and look and I recognize it's Rick Warren. And the words out of my mouth are, oh, crap. <laughs> I thought I'm you were going to say it was table. Danny Bonaducci. I was like stoked. I was. I thought you. That's who you sat down next to. I I did the Spicoli and went. I totally know that dude. But you know what? What actually happened was I said, "Oh crap! I'm at the wrong table." And and he grabs me and like doesn't let me go. He like grabs onto my arm and like you know like people kind of pull you. He goes, "No, brother, you're you're just the right table." And I he's kid a, you he's not. He's a generous man. Oh yeah. Coolest, very dude gentle and generous. Ever. Yeah. We did a whole episode. I didn't know how cool he was. I knew his reverse tithing stuff made him a rock star right away. Like, tell me what I I actually was at a baptism this weekend and someone started crapping on him. And because they're like, oh, did you hear he sent out like uh, Orange County, right? Uh, Did you hear that he sent out, you know, a a vaccination, uh, you know, request to his church, yada, yada. And they started crapping on it. And, And Pete knows this. If you're in my presence and you crap on that dude. I'm going to defend him because I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't rubbish anyone who reverse tithes in my presence. I don't care what else you got against yeah, him. No unless kidding, he's a, right? That dude's generous. And I did. I just defended him. So you pull a Spicoli. I would have been like Chris Farley. Like, Dude, re- <laughs> remember when you wrote that book on purpose? That was awesome. That was, 
No, actually, I, I know Rick, but I haven't seen him in a long time. But he's he's always been the nicest guy. Anything we can oh. do for you, and you call him up and he does it. I mean, he's a great oh, guy. Yeah. You know him better than we do. We, <laughs> we just sat next to him on, on accident. I haven't seen but, him in uh, a long time. But hey, hey Caesar, I mean... <clears throat> Acts, Acts 29, um, Soma, I mean. It was a long time ago, yeah. Yeah, man. I, You know, I've said this before, but you're, you're a guy that I used to listen to you while jogging, you know, because mm. uh, you, you did these rad, like, fitness coaching things. You're like, that's right, fatty. Keep going. You know, and that was I great. No, I'm teasing. No, I used to listen to the, to the Soma. <laughs> like, I don't even remember that. Wow. <laughs> well, as you you're can tell, good, he stopped fatty. jogging. It wasn't that he stopped listening to you. It's that. Peyton just stopped jogging. Yeah. yeah. Then there's no time. Yeah. I don't have any time. Yeah. Because guy. you were so gracious. You know, it was full of grace. No, but I remember listening to the um, Soma boot camps and there was like Jeff Anderson, who I knew. And then there's be this other guy, Caesar on there and like every other one. And so I started listening. I felt like I started getting to know you through those, just listening to mm. like these grace workshops and, you know, um, then I, I read one of your books and then, you know. Um, oh, shucks. I did. It was good, you know. <laughs> Missy Obabashi, man. Look at good this. Stuff. Look at this right here on my top of my desk. <gasps> what? Cha-ching. Sure. I read most all of that, so I don't, you know. Well, you're that quoted like, in that book, so. Look at that. Look at how thick that is. He took Whoa. two pages to acknowledge me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> two pages so the, in or two pages long? So so no joke, because I. The I, name Pete? And then Mitchell is on the next page. So I, I left him out. To I left him out of the acknowledgments on the second book, Reaching the Unreached. Cha-ching. So what happened was I told him, I said, I'm going to give you two pages of acknowledgments to make up for it. And so that's how it is. It's Pete on one page and it's Mitchell at the top of the next hmm. page when I thank him. So I, I kept true to my word. You're on there two you pages. <laughs> So, uh, so anyways, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, just, just hearing you over the years, I mean, you really, you, you've been a part of some really rad movements. You're full of grace, but I think the reason that I respect you, Caesar, is there's a couple things when it comes to discipleship. I interviewed a butt ton of people over the last eight years who have books or whatever on discipleship. And always when I get to the point where I'm like, it doesn't matter if it's like a book about their neighborhood or ministering or, I'll always ask, well, you know, how do you do this in your, whenever it comes to what they do, very frequently, like pastors, right? They can talk from a pulpit, but when it comes to actually doing the crap, they don't do it. So uh, we would draw blanks with our guests who actually are not discipling or not doing what they're talking about. With you, I know it's very different. I sign up to your newsletter. Um, I get your emails. I love them. Uh, my favorite email ever. Uh, is going to lend to what I'm about to say. And that is that there was an email um, that I got once where it was like, hey, if you've got a big uh, group of people, um, here's a recipe that we cook. Uh, and it's super easy. And it, Salami it's just, eggs. I know which one you mean. It was salami eggs. And I remember oh, thinking, this is, this is the best newsletter I've ever gotten from Caesar. <laughs> because to me, there's three things about you. Number one, you're simple. Your approach to discipleship is simple. And to me, I think discipleship should be simple. And uh, in, in, in number two, it's practical. And that email proved that um, that's what you do. When, when, when I consider how I'm going to do it, you tell people very step-by-step, step, this is how you do it. It's And in, in that leads into the third one, because you actually live it, you do it. That's why it's simple to you. That's why it's practical to you, because you're a practitioner. So I am I am always gonna be open to having you on here to talk about discipleship because i know you're a practitioner you do what you're talking about you make thanks, it simple brother. you make it practical so thanks yeah we just uh, call it a lifestyle you know once once we sort of made that decision we're gonna live this way like missionaries sent to another country called us <laughs> called tacoma that you know it just changed everything and then begin to live out of identity once yeah mm. once the whole thing shifts to the, this is how we live because it's our identity then everything flows it's like we say birds Birds don't fly because they're supposed to. <coughs> they fly because they're birds, you know, like they get to. Mm. And that's how I feel about disciple making is like we get to be a part of this, this eternal purpose that the, Paul says the angels long to look into this mystery that God was going to fill the world with his glory. How's he going to do that? Through humans, through, the, through those jacked up humans. Yeah, watch this. That and so, how does that happen? By making disciples of Jesus. Jesus is the glory of God, right? So, yeah, getting to do this, what a what an awesome deal! But it's it flows right out of our identity and how we were created to live. So, I 
to uh, Christians who aren't making disciples, it kind of blows my mind. It's like, wow, like, why don't you go ahead and cash that check? Like, you know, yeah, it's right? an awesome birthright here we have, you know. <laughs> it's it's my favorite thing right now. Like, I'm discipling a guy. Um, discipleship for me looks a little bit different, but I, I literally do this geek hobby with this dude um, on a regular basis. He comes over and we do that. He's a 20-something-year-old skater punk dude. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, but it is literally the highlight. It's the funnest thing I do, literally because I'm just watching him come to faith. And, yeah. you know, yeah. so what? what is your rhythm? You mentioned it being like a lifestyle. Kind of walk us through, unpack that. What does that look like for you and your wife? For us, a lot of, of the rhythms of our life include a lot of other people. And, and what we've learned is that um, God has created the world in a series of rhythms. You've probably heard me talk about this, but there's a series of rhythms that everybody in the world lives in that are common. And they're all ripe for disciple making and for the gospel being experienced, heard, experienced, touched, applied, all that. And so for us, we realize that there's organized aspects of our life and there's organic aspects of our life. And there's actually a whole lot less organized things. You know what I mean? Like there's not 500 things we organize in a month. There's a handful that lead to all the other organics. And so if, if we can include people in, in a few of those organized things, then we have found that there's just, it seems like the organic interactions sort of take care of themselves. So for us, uh, we have still like at least a family dinner night a week. That's kind of a big deal. It's kind of locked in. Sometimes there ends up being more than one just because <laughs> of how that goes. And then that's a perfect opportunity to include other people in that. And and that's why sometimes there's more than one, because sometimes they'll be like, oh, oh this whole group of people, they can't make it to the Team K night, but we're you know going to do this. Or we'll organize. This is a pretty common one. We organize like either an open table or a happy hour in our neighborhood. And guess what? I'm probably going to have an adult beverage around five o'clock most nights anyway. You know, <laughs> So we're just like, why don't we go ahead and throw that on the Facebook group in the neighborhood and invite people to come to that? So we're organizing it a little, but then the organic interactions of like, oh man, we should go do this. Let's go fishing next week. Like, hey, I've been wanting to get together and talk about this or that with you. Let's do that, man. Let's book that and grab a lunch. And so the rhythms of our life look much like a normal family life that we bring some intentionality to say, oh, who can we include mm -hmm. in some of this stuff? So, okay. So I'm really interested. Um, I, I read a book years ago. I'm sure you've read it. Um, it was Hugh Halter's happy hour, which, um, to me is his best book. Like that book, that and Bible <laughs> are my two favorites of his, um, they're little teeny books, but they're so powerful. Um, but you know, describe to me, you mentioned, okay, so I'm going to have an adult beverage. What does that look like? Like, are you cracking a beer out by the, the fire outside or are you having like a cocktail hour in the house? Or I, yeah. I know, I know that's super practical. I just, I like to see like, what's that look like? like? like what's it feel like? I just like to throw out there. I was really disappointed that Hugh didn't sell happy hour in six packs. <laughs> that's how he should have sold that book, but he didn't. Hey, he did, hey dude's got dude's running. He sold this one in life. packs of five. It should have been a six pack. Oh yeah, what a miss, right? Yeah. What a miss. Yeah. Well, th for us, though, it, it'll change based on the season, right? Um, our neighborhood. It's interesting because we've done happy hours. Like in New York, we did happy hours, and when we lived in Manhattan, and we what we did is we threw up flyers in the hallway of our apartment building, but like right on the on the. Uh, mailbox where everybody stops right in the front door checks their mail every day and then we live first floor so right next to the mailbox at the end of the hall was our door wow. and so then we would hang the happy hour thing on our door as well and then we also invite people that we had met in the neighborhood so other apartment buildings that guy at the pub that we run into all the time this waitress that barista whatever and so i remember the first time we did this um we actually threw a welcome to the neighborhood party. That's how we did it. And we said, listen, we're new to the neighborhood. You don't know us, so you shouldn't have to throw us a party. We'll throw our own, but we'd love you to come. And we are from the Midwest at, at that point, you know, well, we had been living out here for a while, but we, we go out there and we have the thing start like at 530 or something, six o'clock. There's nobody there 
Well, one friend like that, that was going to do this with me, but nobody's there. And we're like, hmm, nobody's there at 630. No one's there at 7, 730, nothing. We're like, I guess it doesn't work here. And then all of a sudden at eight o'clock, all these people start showing up. Whoa. <laughs> and it was like, oh, yeah. See, when we had just moved there. So we got started right away. We didn't right. realize everything happens a whole lot later there. Wow. So around, I remember that night about 1230. People are <laughs> one o'clock. People are starting to go, bro, I'm so sorry that this is so fun. I'm so sorry to bail early, but like I got a 530 flight out of JFK. And we're like, that's oh, all right, man. Next time you can stay later, you know? And so then man. we started doing happy hours that same way. And so all it was is we would, we would throw up a flyer and we, and we would, I think we went up and down the stairs. It was only like 10 apartments uh, in our building, very common mm-hmm. New York sort of walk up. It wasn't some giant complex, right? Yeah. And uh, and we would put flyers, you know, on everybody's, you know, uh, like under their doormat or whatever, and then post it. And people just came. It was not a big deal. So awesome. And everybody brought a little something, a beverage of choice. And and, and that's kind of how we do it too. So here now we're back in, you know, the Seattle area. Uh, our neighborhood had a bit of a tradition of doing what they call driveway happy hour. You post in the Facebook group, hey, driveway happy hour tonight, our house, and people we'd go and people would be there. And wow. so so we started saying, Well, listen, we all have really nice back decks and fireplaces and their ours is covered. So like maybe pouring rain and twinkle lights and all that. So we started doing them in the back and people didn't seem to care. And it was just that way. We'd do it on the deck, we'd have appetizers and a few beverages. Everybody brought tons, and so there was always more you needed. People here, though, brought their kids. And so they'd be out in the yard. So then we'd have to cook food for the kids because the parents didn't want to leave. And I'm like, mm. you should probably feed your kids some dinner. It's like 7, 7.30, you know. And and that's how it went. Now, when COVID hit, we started doing driveway happy hours. And we invited wow. people to our driveway because it was outside. It was out front. It seemed a little less creepy. And we actually, we did the, the first one. We said, hey, I know everybody's social distancing. So here's the. Here's the social distance version of the happy hour. We're going to do it out on our driveway and we invite you to do the same thing and we'll wave at each other. And and at this time of the evening, we'll walk around and we'll just walk past everybody else's happy hour in the neighborhood and we'll see each other. So, you know, well, apparently they didn't read that very well and just a ton of people showed up at our driveway. So that, that was like in May or something, you know, last year. So it was like, whoa, is this okay? And we had all the chairs super set out far apart, you know, and everybody. We had hand sanitizer and gloves yeah. if you wanted to pour something. But um, so we started doing them out front again. Now we've been able to shift them back in indoor if it's, you know, late or cold or raining or whatever or in the back again. So, but my wife really right. fell in love with the doing and the out front thing. And she's trying to talk me into mm. taking one of the garage stalls in the smaller skinny door and then just building a wall about 12 feet Ooh. back and building a little, so all we have to do is shut <gasps> the door and there's a little built-in bar like that. What? So, yeah. So that's, she's seriously, Dude, she's pushing hard for that. Okay. Now. So that your wife is like, she's like Q on, on the James Bond, you know, headquarters. <laughs> that's like James Bond discipleship level right there. If you do that, that's like having a stiletto shoe. Yeah. Or discipleship. Yeah. Well, we, we started dragging our bar from the back deck out to the front driveway on, on at Halloween. <laughs> and we put out a fire pit and a big old ring of chairs. And There's Caesar and, again dragging his bar out into the front yard. Well, you know, I, it just sounds like everything we do revolves around that. It's not true. No, no. But I got you, it is I got a you. rhythm that sort of people are surprised at, especially if they figure out you're a pastor or a church planter. It's, it's kind of like the Pharisees, you know, what they said about Jesus, right? He's a glutton and a wine bibber. Sounds familiar. That's us. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I love it. So that's some of the rhythms uh, that, that we sort of incorporate and uh, try love to do that it. with like, like in a predictable pattern, some sort of a regular rhythm that people can start to count on. So Dude, now well it's done, cause wide open. I, I'll ask those kinds of questions and people don't get in the weeds. That's exactly what I was hoping you would paint for us as a picture <laughs> just like that. It was super helpful, man, because I like to envision what people are doing, how they make it work, because I think there's not really a ton of rules, right? Like, about no. This. I'll tell you what, like we like to theme things. Like when we do meals too, happy hour, we always theme it so people know how to participate and they know what to look <laughs> forward to. It's a little marketing. We do the same thing with happy hour. We'll usually, not always, but usually we'll have a special cocktail of the evening. Wow. And that'll be our contribution. We'll say, hey, we're going to yeah. be making these. If you want anything else, just bring that. Right. Right. I love it, man. That's so anyway. good. So like one night might be like margarita night or one night might be uh, Manhattan night when you're living in yep. Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah, we did a we did a seventies uh, dinner party 
old timey seventies dinner party and uh, had a bunch of people over for that. And we did like steaks, like old school doing it, you know, and like the baked potato, yeah, everything we remember from steakhouses when we were kids, you know, and we did Manhattans and the dessert was that it was, was, yeah, very good. Do you know the the big Lebowski yet? Everyone's Um, got white Russians. You know what? A friend of ours did a birthday party, and it started out yes, a big Lebowski, and then they all we all went to the bowling alley, and they all had the sweaters and the whole thing, and the White Russians was what we started. Yeah, that was we didn't put that one on, but I've I've been to that. Nice, <laughs> yeah. no man, that's so good. <laughs> yeah, so good. Wow, dude abides. So <laughs> the <dude>. uh, <laughs> I have two Easter eggs in Church Zero, Chiching from the Big Lebowski. So. Oh. Nice. Yeah, they're hidden. They're hidden. But okay. the rug. most pop culture is overt in that book. But I got two hidden Lebowski references. The rug. <laughs> I remember the rug. That's right. That's right. Ooh. I summarize an argument by saying, Let me, let's 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 throw down the rug that really ties a room together. And Lebowski fans are like, that was awesome. I got that. So, uh, yeah. So that's so cool, man. So um, tell us a little bit about because you you run um, you run courses on discipleship. Um, Who have typically been the people that uh, enroll in your courses? Well, we offer courses and then we do a lot of coaching, as you know, and uh, we, and we even have like a a membership, like we call it the incubator for folks who want to kind of get all the soup to nuts tools and stuff. Um, But they're not yet engaged in the coaching level. Um, You know, for us, by the way, because I remember you launching that. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a blast, man. I love it. It's, it's done very well, and I'm very uh, I love it. I really do, and and I love just it gives us a broader relational base with folks. I'd say you know if I was to tell you the width of who engages in like the coursework and all that, it's pretty wide. I'll tell you who I'll tell you who's really a blast to do it with is um, leaders who already have a little something going on, you know. So like maybe a, a person who is leading the church. And, or maybe they're in charge of like the small group ministry or, you know, missional communities or whatever. And they've been trying some stuff. So they're already in their mind. They're like, yeah, but they go, but we really don't have a framework to re- to really do this or reproduce this in others. And those are my favorite folks to do it with. Now we, we deal with all kinds of people who just are like, also a blast to do with is like a couple will just say, Hey, our church does none of this. We've been listening to your podcast, the everyday disciple podcast, cha-ching. Um, and it, it, uh, has encouraged us to want to live this way. So we want to, you know, would you help us? And absolutely. And what it is is they don't know they're planting church, right? <laughs> Until they do. And then you're like, Oh yeah. Wow. Look at all these people in your life who are now in the rhythms of your life and starting to learn more and more about Jesus and walk in his ways and trust him in more and more areas. And you're like, yeah, that's That's a, that's a big part. I mean, there'll be a podcast that, that will be starting up probably in January for me, but it, it takes that whole concept. It's not original. I mean, um, but, but working with people who are church planning accidentally, really, through discipling, I'm, I'm I'm not ready to let the cat out of the bag yet, but Ooh. it it literally is um, it is a fact. If you disciple, church planning just happens. It is it is the core of what church planning is. When you start discipling people, you're going to have a church plan, whether you like it or not. That's what started the Methodist movement. Wesley, the thing that separated him from Whitfield. Was he said, you know, we I can't just blow through a town, preach a gospel, make converts. I have to do something with them. So he starts the bands, the societies, the little small groups, the experience meetings. Yeah, they're discipleship groups. Don't need a leader. Don't need a. It literally everybody sat around and talked about what's same with the CNMA. What is it? Same with the Christian Missionary Alliance. Really? Yeah, they started what they called um, branch communities. They said we don't really care what. We don't really matter what uh, what church you feel connected to, but this part of our city is really underserved and not does not have a gospel witness, and they would never come to our churches. Mm. So in our neighborhoods, we're going to help you organize these things. They called them branch communities, and they discipled people to faith. And those things multiplied like crazy. And then eventually those people wanted to be able to worship together and you know sit under the same type of teaching. But it was from that, yeah. That's so cool. Are you CMA? 
No, no, not officially. I I was licensed CMA when we were in New York because we were working with them out there. Yeah, but they still. I mean, they they are, their missionary roots are very strong still. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you never hear bad things about the CMA, and of course Tozer, right? Well, so, and I didn't even know that at first. Like, man, one of my favorite authors. Like, I got every single book of his. And it's like, right? Uh, yeah, CMA guy, <laughs> Chicago. Yeah, CMA. Thank you very yeah. much, Chicago. There we go. It's my kind of town. And uh, you know the the thing about Wesley though was they kept trying to get him to leave Anglicanism until the day he died. He was a diehard Anglican, and he refused to allow this movement that by mm. the time of his death was ten percent of the population. Imagine that. And he's like, no, no, these are just discipleship groups. Well, they were churches. They were becoming churches. Like long, that ship had long sailed. All of his followers are like, dude, we just planted like, you know, thousands and thousands of churches. Why don't we just be what we are? And finally, when he died, they waited for him to kick. And then they said, yeah, we're the Methodists now. But. You know, that that whole thing, though, that discipling people, I love that you brought up that accidental church planning. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, the not accidental church planner, that's sort of my original tribe, right? Because we're, we're serial church planners. And right now, what's been a blast is how many church planters are being sent to plant, and they're not really being forced to plant a church service. They really are being, it feels like more than ever, encouraged and allowed to plant communities that make disciples we call them missional communities regardless of what people call them but like start that way multiply out leaders who know how to multiply out disciple making communities and and then get to recongregate that now that's what we were doing back in soma and soma still largely does around the world for years now and for us it was just a an easier model what we have found is when you start that way <laughs> the type of church you get is so different and so nimble and so lightweight and you can you can really do almost anything with it. I'm even seeing articles from the the non sort of tribe people, you know, where they're not necessarily missional community believers, but they're going, how come some churches seem to have thrived during COVID and others are gone? And they're and they're they're kind of going like scratch their head, going, seems like the nimble ones that were primarily community based and smaller but multiplied out there, those have just kind of chugged right along. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. rad. It's yeah. so good, dude. So I love helping folks start, you know, when they're planting that way early. Let's get that DNA in there. Let's not try to figure out how to talk a bunch of consumers who you stole from other services into living this way. Let's live this way and then mm. congregate those folks. It'll be like a big, huge family reunion then when you get together, you know, for worship and teaching and all that. I love it. I love it. You know, right now, uh, the Mark uh, Driscoll, Who Killed Mars Hill, um, you know, with you being from that area, I, I, it's interesting. You know, I heard plenty about that, my friend. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I still have a little mixed, mixed feelings about it. Like, oh, this guy can't talk about himself. He can't defend himself. He can't, you know, like I, I actually, I'm, I'm maybe not with everybody on this. Um, I can't look away. It's like a bad car wreck. You know, I can't stop listening to it. It's so well done. But there's a piece of me where I'm like, ah, oh, you know, like, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, but, you know, going back to that, I think that um, everybody's talking about the lessons, which are always going to be good, right? Because... Who's got music one, in the background going on? Sorry, that's my Finnish carpenter. Um, no, my daughter's learning to play the, the, the satyr. Is it the satyr or the... <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. It's uh, it's my Finnish carpenter. I apologize. Playing but, bagpipes uh, while he's working? Yes. Is nice. that, can you hear this? Is it picking mm-hmm. it up? All right. I apologize, man. It's... Uh, yeah, no, he's he's doing something good on my house somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> but anyways, my, uh, my, uh, how do you, how do you kind of help folks navigate as it starts to become a church? Some of these people didn't see themselves leading communities. How do you, how do you help them to minister in the way of Jesus? What's the, I'm not quite getting that question there. You mean like as, as things start to multiply? As opposed, yeah, because a, a, a lot of people are, you know, Obviously, uh, one of the great problems with with leaders and ministers nowadays is that um, when things just kind of grow organically um, and they don't understand leadership, I would say the majority of leaders don't actually understand leadership, that it's servant. It's not hierarchical. It's not authority. It's not those kinds of things. 
Um, you lead by influence, yeah, not by authority. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You inspire people. You get out in front of them. You lead the charge. You, you know, when when people are like, I don't want to do that. You know, it's like Paul. You know, don't don't go and fight with them. You know, gently instruct them. Be patient. You know, they're they're sheep. I mean, that that's we don't really hear a lot about that. And and I think the one good thing about that podcast is that it's it's kind of highlighting the dangers. The inherent dangers of leadership itself, right? Because we're busted up and we're broken. Um, but you know, what are some ways that as you lead people to disciple and it starts becoming a community of believers? How do you kind of train them to lead? Like what are some of the things that as they're just discipling, but now suddenly they're leading a yeah. community, there's a transition. How do you train them to lead in the ways of Jesus? It seems that as uh, things are healthy, they always grow. And we tell people that all the time. Healthy things always grow. A healthy community, in other words, the rings of your family life that feel like the kingdom of God is touched down, going outward to include more and more other people, that's a healthy growing thing. It will. It's a kingdom principle. As they grow, though, you start to run into some family size issues, which are going to necessitate multiplication, not splitting like a divorce, you know, but like like multiplication. And so then it's a matter of, are you taking that discipleship further up the slope into leadership development, actually? And and we, we really do believe that leadership, developing leaders is just their further discipleship up, you know, up further up the slope to greater maturity. And we use a very small little acronym for this that um, a friend of mine, John Witte, taught me this years ago. He's a, a Baptist missionary forever and ever. Um, it's called MAWL, M-A-W-L. It's kind of, you know, we talk about mauling people. It's a bit of a weird acronym, right? But, um, and I'm not huge on acronyms, but it's model, assist, watch, and leave. In other words, you've been modeling a lot of stuff for people, but if they didn't know you were specifically modeling that things, right? Systems, the way you gospel, you know, people's hearts, how you have a meal, what do you do with your neighbors, how you discipline your kids, all that stuff. If you've just been modeling it, but they don't know it, then they haven't been paying attention. So when the leaders, you want to say, hey, I want to start developing you in, in these things so that we can multiply you out. So I'm going to model them. I want you to pay attention. Then we're going to go to assist. You're going to help me doing this for a while. Then we're going to flip that and I'm going to assist you. Okay. And then I'm going to watch you do it. I'm not going to mess with you. I'm not going to save it. I'm not going to, whatever you, the, the skill is, the, the environment thing you're wanting them to learn how to experience, reproduce and all that. And then I'll give you some feedback on that. Eventually I'm going to leave you to do it and you're going to need to you know, innovate it and make it your own and all that. But by taking all of those steps, what people get is they get great courage because usually what we do, and this is my own, I'm just, you know, I'll bust myself here. My tendency is to, I've been modeling this like crazy. They have to have gotten it by now. It's yours now, Peyton. And I'll just leave you alone because I don't want to micromanage you. You're a dude. You, you got it. And you're like, yeah, but, but I don't, I have so many, I don't, you know, and people feel that's not leadership. That's not non-micromanagement. That's just abdication. You know, just like, well, we're so big now you have to take it over. When you actually maul people, model, assist, watch, and then leave them be, and they know that's the process, they feel confident because you're not going to leave me alone to do this until you've, I've helped you, you've helped me, you've watched, given me feedback a few times, and then you're going to leave alone. And then we also teach them, come back around, check on folks, you know, like Paul did. And so this is some of the intentionality that we, we bring to regular folks who are multiplying out their missional communities, busting, certainly with church planners who are thinking, I really want to multiply out these missional communities. You, then you're going to have to keep your eye on who are you apprenticing. And that means you have to very intentionally model, assist, watch and lead, you know, kind of thing. So those That's are really some of the framework that we kind of think through and then pass on. Well, you know, when I ask that, because let me ask you, you a question here real quick, Peyton. Um, <clears throat> when you're doing your, your community dinners and stuff, how how does the gospel get into that? Is it just hey we're we're eating breaking bread so to speak with our neighbors, and you know as stuff comes up or I mean how does how does it go from just a meal together to sharing the gospel? So the conversations that happen with uh, our neighbors, like at an open table or a happy hour are different level conversations than what's going on with the believers in our community or Oikos level. 
Do you know what I mean? They just are. And I think that's what flips a lot of people out. They think like, oh, if we're going to start doing this, now we got to have a pocket, a box full of transitional statements to get them in, you know, to these spiritual discussions. Like we used to be taught by Willow Creek Association, you know, you're at the gym and you're running along and then you say to somebody this and then, oh, that there's a parallel, there's a pun to that. And then you flip, boom, and now you're in a spiritual conversation. We're, we're not really doing that with people. We, we talk about those like happy hours, Pete or a open table that we're doing in the neighborhood or whatever, having folks over, those are high invitation and low challenge. In other words, they're, they're easy to hang out. Like everybody can come bring your friends. I don't care who you bring. Come on. Let's like, it's, it's high invitation, but it's low challenge. We're not trying to say, Oh, thanks for coming tonight. Now we want to invite you all to alpha. Boom. It's, it's too much relational challenge too soon. You need to bank enough invitation to build trust later on you can spend that as challenge now and those who have come to faith or are christians who are involved in this with us we're having very different types of conversations and equipping going on and different things like that where we see a big cross-pollination of these things and maybe this is like like what you're looking for is when we do the story of god in community it's always a mixture of people of peace those those friends and you know, maybe they used to be church attenders or they're not so much no more, or they might be atheists or they're just not sure, but, but they're leaning into relationship. They're people of peace. We'll, we'll take them through the story of God with the believers in our community. And it's a process and it's done in such a way that no one gets to be the Bible answer man, the expert. You're, it's narrative and dialogue, dialogical. And the way that we manage that and the way that we teach others to do that is it's level. You can, you can only answer the questions for the dialogue portion from within the story. So you can't quote some old Piper sermon or Swindoll thing you remember hearing when you were a kid or, you know, like, or a book you read on Keller. Your answers have to come from, okay, where did you see that in the story? And that keeps the, the ground level. So that, that would be one of those times that we would really cross pollinate th- those kinds of things. But there's a whole series of steps to get there. So how do you invite like a neighbor to do something like the story of God with you? Well, over time, over right. time. It's not like the first time I meet him. Like, you want to do this? It, you know, it, it takes time. You think about Jesus was three and a half years with his disciples, pretty much, you know, all day, every day. Something like 30,000 waking hours, I figured out once. And uh, in Matthew 28, at the ascension, it says the 11 that were still alive, they were, they were there with them as they watched him ascend into the sky, <laughs> you know, with nail holes in his hands and feet. And, you know, and some still did not believe. Wow. Apparently, this takes time. So, so we don't have a problem building relationships, looking at you, Pete. Bank, banking at invitation. You. Yeah. Looking at you, Pete. <laughs> banking invitation so that we can then up the relational challenge as we go. So that's awesome. Well, Hey, you've got Very speaking of challenges. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of challenges, you have a discipleship challenge um, coming up. That's why we want to get you on here. Talk to us a little bit about what that is. Cause I, I really want to see people get, um, kind of get this part. If you plan a church, um, uh, you know, uh, let's put it this way. If you start a church, going back to plantology, ching, right? <laughs> Starting a church is not the same as planting a church. Planting a church, you pop the hood, uh, you look and see what's, what's running the thing. It's this, it's discipleship. It's what you're talking about. So I hate it when people go out and they're going to start a Sunday service because that's starting a church and that's not, it's not what I read about in the book of Acts. Yeah. I want to learn to disciple. So uh, talk to us about the discipleship challenge. What is it? How can people get involved? Thanks, man, for letting me talk about that a little bit. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. We call it the Everyday Disciple Challenge, and it's this idea of making discipleship part of everyday life. And, and I think we're seeing more than ever the church really desiring that and going, hey, 30% of our people have come back to a gathering of sorts, but that's still back to 1.8 times a month or whatever. Well, what about the other person, bulk of our folks? Well, they're they're starting to experience their faith a lot more in, on the ground and, and they want to know how to do this as families and with a few neighbors and all that. And so we've done this challenge several times and, and had thousands of people through it and seen great breakthroughs. What we do is over four days, I do about 45 minutes a day of live teaching. We do it on the internet here. People, you know, tune in and they can see it on the internet and we give them worksheets and we give them uh, a little bit of homework each day. And I'm, I'm talking really a little bit because, you know, it's like you can't take the week off. Right. But just to get them into some new rhythms and trying some new things, trying on for size, some newer understandings of their identity. Like, hey, if that were true, pick this or this or this and let's have that, you know, 
part of your life this week. And we see people have instant wins, you know, instant breakthroughs and go, wait a minute, I, I'm starting to get the idea of what it would look like to have discipleship happen in everyday life. And so it's a, it's a very decided four days what we teach. The first day uh, we talk about, you know, what is discipleship actually? Because that's, that's even not even agreed upon. And for a lot of people, myself included, the way I was raised, discipleship was a series of classes. It was either a nine-week thing early on in my life, really short little meetings and just topical. Or then later on, once the whole, you know, 101, 201, 301, 401 thing got mapped on, that was it. And then you sit in a big auditorium, 500 people at a time, 1,000 people go through your 101, 201, you know. And then you're, you're discipled. It's like, no, I don't, that's not what I see Jesus doing, you know. And so we, we, we give a practical working definition and framework Mm. for discipleship and it'll actually change how people see their faith and all of that mm. that's what we do day one and uh day two we get deep into gospel identity which is really the foundation it really is understanding our gospel identity our true identity it changes our motivations it starts to it starts to push right up on that like well i'm too busy and i don't have time for this and why would i do that or i i fear the way people are going to respond to me and we start to get into a little bit of that like mm. if you believe your identity most Christians have not been taught their identity. We hear things like, well, your identity is now in Christ. True. And what they mean by that is, so when you stand before God, he's going to look at you like Jesus. True. But we're created in God's own image and he's, he's a triune God. So you're also created in the image of the spirit of God and father. And so there's great implication because of all that. So we get into that. Mm. Uh, on the third day, we talk about these natural discipleship rhythms. That I was telling you about, there's like six rhythms we see everybody in the world lives in. So it doesn't, ma doesn't matter when or where or now or 100 years ago or Africa, Canada, here, Chicago, you know. And and then day four, we talk about how do you start to balance this out? How do you know what to do and balance this out so it's not like uh, you throw a light switch and now that's what people hear. They think, oh, we're going to live like you. It's a light switch. We're going to have so many people around all the time. Oh my God, it'll never fit our schedule. Promise you it will when you look at these rhythms. And we'll give you some tools for balance. Plus, it just that. makes life rich. Like you'll look yeah. back on different times of your life, and what will what will stick out to you about the good stuff are these things that are happening. This is the good stuff. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So that's that's how it goes. In it that we do that four days. It's about forty five minutes a day, and then people post their homework, you know, on the site on the, on the Facebook group, and we just to even encourage folks, we. We enter every homework post you post, you get entered in to win a prize. And if you post a live like takeaway video, wow. like, hey, man, this today, this really hit my heart hard, you get three entries. And I give out prizes throughout the week just just to bless people, just because I want you to get through it. I don't want you to blow it off, you know, and uh, and we'll even make the replays available for folks. And, and, and a lot of smart leaders, what they've been doing is they get their folks signed up with them and they watch it either live, which is really the best way, because then you can ask questions and all that, or they'll watch yeah. the replay, and then they get on Zoom that night, and they discuss it, the implications for their own community. All right, well, tomorrow. So they have four little things, and they do that. And then I'm not in the room, so if their people are afraid or disagree or I don't like that guy or whatever, I'm not there. I don't care. <laughs> right. But, but now it's been taught, and it's been taught, I think, well, and you get to feedback on that and push back on it and talk through that. So a yeah. lot of people... When we do these challenges, they sign up their teams or they'll send it out to their whole church and then they do their own little Zoom meetings and discuss it. So, yeah, it, it'll it'll give people the beginning framework for making disciples in everyday life and prove to them if they engage it, they'll see in baby steps. Wow, we can do this at age and stage. Not doesn't really matter. Little kids, no kids, empty nest, single. It, it, we can do this. So, by the way, it's all free. If folks want to en enroll in that, uh, I would love it. They can go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash challenge. Okay. Okay. Everydaydisciple.com forward slash challenge. And if you guys uh, get my newsletter, my email, I'm not getting any money uh, from Caesar for this. <laughs> well, this I don't is have free. A, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't have a percentage. I don't have a cut of this. Percentage free. Um, I want all of it. I want all of it. I, I'm literally promoting this through my newsletter. If you sign up to my newsletter, I don't get a cut of this. I'm not getting, I'm not in this for money, but literally I believe in uh, what Caesar does and I've sent this out. So if you've gotten my newsletter at ministryninja.com or newbreednetwork.org, if you signed up to either newsletter, this has gone out to you. Uh, so you'll have this in your inbox today. Now, this thing is starting on Monday, the 16th here of August. Which is the day this 
airs. So Does it? You, yeah, those of you on Facebook, you're getting this, but can they sign up still by Monday? They totally can. And if you register, I'm going to send you a daily email with links to the replays. And I'll leave the replays up for a few days, but then I pull them down. People are like, why don't you just let them up there forever? Because then you'd never watch them. And yeah, that's never true. Do the homework. And I can't feed back forever. So right. we say, hey, listen, we're going to go live for four days. I end up usually doing, because it's so fun, I usually end up doing an extra few days, some bonus yeah. training, answering questions. It's a little more practical. We get super, super practical. And, uh, and then I pull it down. I pull it down. Nice. Just, and I tell people, I'm not being mean. Now you'll watch it. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's 100% true. So. Yeah, I love it. And uh, you can't just put this crap off forever either. It, it, part of what you're doing is this is a lifestyle. You're either in it or you're not. So this, it's like the this gym, Everyday right? Every Disciple Challenge is the funnest thing we do. I, yeah. know, I've done it a few times now. Like I said, thousands of people have been in it with us. It is so fun. It's just so fun to see the light bulbs going on of like, I've been in church for 30 years and I never understood this. And this is so easy and fun now, you know, or I might, I, I might I jump just, in this round and take it. I actually might jump in and take it right well, now because we're, so. <laughs> we're in a discipleship uh, rhythm right now and we're just getting ready to plant again. So uh, uh, we're, it's we're, just we're, we're definitely in some sort of a new normal and it ain't normal. And so yeah. I'm going to kind of customize all of this this time for what we're kind of experiencing and facing and try nice. to answer the questions based on all that. So. Nice. Well, while you're doing all this discipleship, Pete, obviously you've got a lot of finances and things that you got to handle IRS compliancy. How do you handle that with all your discipleship rhythms, Pete? You know, I'm so grateful that you asked me, Peyton, because uh, I use a little something called simplifychurch.com. What? Yes. Simplifychurch.com. You're kidding me. out with all my IRS compliancy and <laughs> everything else I got to do. Wow, it sounds as simple as the discipleship challenge. It sounds simple, practical, and something that's actionable. Pete, simplifychurch.com, that's where I go? That's exactly it. Hey, and when you're done there, head on over to sermonboss.com. Sermonboss.com will help people watch your videos, listen to your audios, including your podcast, and any kind of media you have, including social media, without taking you away from your website. So head on over to sermonboss.com. And that's our sponsors done. And uh, they don't pay us money either. We we swap trade. So we're oh. <laughs> we're not like, fat Is that cats how you go here. on a big, huge four-week vacation to Hawaii every year? They, own a they do call place. them junkets. Yes. Yes. When I was a Baptist minister, I got free cruises, but those days are long gone. So here's the deal, guys. Thanks for joining us. This has been Caesar Cow. Caesar, where did they go one more time? They can, they can register for that Everyday Disciple Challenge for free by going to everydaydisciple.com forward slash challenge. All right. So, guys, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, this has guys. Been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell and Cesar Kalinowski Woo. reminding you, if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music